I don't know how Brandon was able to work it so that he could be out of town on Time Change Sunday and cajole the uh, high, you know, youth to come and take over the praise, but boy, I'm glad he did because, praise the Lord, we had all the instruments today. Did you notice that? I mean, we got, we got, yeah, we got percussion and we had brass and we had strings and you are the winds. And, and so it was just great. And the fact that they would do it on Time Chain Sunday after they lose an hour of sleep. Um, you know, you guys are my heroes uh, and uh, you rock. Well, really you praise, but you know what I'm, what I'm saying. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, give them, a, give them a hand clap. So, and I want to thank you. I want to thank you for tithing because it, you, we now, we own our stage. We own the backdrop. We built a booth for AV and also continue to improve our live stream. And um, before summer hits, so sometime this spring, we will re- completely improve and replace the HVAC here in the Sanctinasium. And so that'll be tens of thousands of dollars, but be, praise the Lord because you tithe. I don't have to hit you up for things like that. A lot of churches, they, they have to do that and say, look, this broke down. Who's going to give? I would rather hit you up for the things that go for ministry and go for people. So if you're going to give over and above your tithe, then things like what we're going to be doing with Restoration House for Easter. So a working Easter, one part of that. Um, harvest teams, hope you get involved in a harvest team. If you've signed up, not been contacted, bug us. I don't want anybody to fall through the crevasse. You know, I don't want anybody to get through the crack. I want, want uh, everybody who wants to participate to do so. And, and between now and Easter, the only agenda is to make you comfortable giving your testimony. And if you're already comfortable, then join the group, the small group, and let help someone else get comfortable giving their testimony. Uh, and, and let's just do that between now and Easter. And then the other aspect of working Easter is the, the fact that Restoration House got 600 requests last year for assistance, mainly from State Highway Patrol, you know, trying to place uh, both adults and minors who were coming out of sex trafficking. And they were able to refer about 400 of those to other facilities, but they could only handle a fraction of the, the ones that were left. So they're expanding, and they have money for um, construction and a matching grant and all that. But I thought, you know, why don't we outfit? Why don't we say we're going to take two rooms at $3,000 each, and that will be on us, and those will be all rooms, and, and we're going to take care of that. So whatever you give above your tithe to the Focus Fund now through Easter will go toward that. And about a year ago, uh, I think it was, Brett had painted the church. And, you know, at the front of the church there, kind of where the steeple is at, uh, that is called ombre. That, other, that color is called ombre. And so on our stage, well, you know, that's kind of ombre, and, and even the cross is kind of ombre, and we're going to visually represent somehow on the cross over the next few weeks until Easter um, how much is given, so we know how much we got to go. And then on Easter Sunday, uh, Rodney, uh, Rod, Rodney Hammer and his wife will be here, and we'll present them with a check, and I'm really looking forward to do that. So go ahead and stand. Let's have a word of prayer, and you pray for me, because for some reason... And I, you know, I like to challenge myself so that I don't get bored with preaching because then you would be bored listening. So I set the bar really high for a time chain Sunday in, in that we are going to look at Revelation 14 and 15. And who wants to do that on time chain Sunday, you know, after you lose an hour of sleep? But I think that, you know, uh, with the aid and anointing of the Holy Spirit and 
by, by your prayer, then God is going to craft a word just for you today as we go through this passage together. So let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you again, Lord, for all that you're doing. All, uh, every, the, the long way you have brought us to get to this spot and allow us to serve in this way. Lord, that we have harvest kids going at both service times and we have people who are coming back and some of them having been able to get vaccines so they can come back. And Lord, we just trust you with all of that in your providence. But, but Father, we need you to be with us now. We pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit in this moment of time we have together, wherein we gather in order to honor and glorify Jesus and doing it on the day of, of his resurrection. So Lord, be with us now, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. You know, in the 1870s, there was a minister named Charles Taze Russell, and he took the line that the truth, the true truth had been lost early on. Somehow the Holy Spirit fell down on his job, and now the church needed to be restored. So we didn't need Reformation, didn't need all the revivals God was bringing to our country at that time, but what they needed was restoration, needed to be restored. And so his successor, Judge Rutherford adopted the name Jehovah's Witnesses for that particular group. And you know them, they prohibit blood transfusions, they don't salute the flag, they reject Christmas holiday, and they they view the Battle of Armageddon as a global war in which God is going to bring peace on earth to this planet. And so Rutherford predicted that God would destroy churches wholesale, that God would destroy church members by the millions in 1918, And all earthly governments were going to be destroyed in 1920. Now that did not happen, but he did construct a luxury villa in San Diego to house the biblical princes who were going to be resurrected before the Battle of Armageddon. Can anybody say, yeah, right? So anyway, I could go on, but they established in their own mind that they were the 144,000. But you know, then their group got a little bigger, a little larger than 144,000. So they had to figure out, well, how can we keep this going? So then they decided that Revelation 7 refers to two classes of Christians and the 144,000 are going to be resurrected to serve as a royal priesthood and the great company of other Christians would be brought to perfection on a lesser plane, similar to angels, but they would be there to serve the 144,000. Can anybody say, yeah, right? And in 1966, they said that Christ's thousand-year millennial reign was going to start in late 1975. As a matter of fact, their vice president named an exact date. They, so they sold their businesses. They sold their homes. They quit their jobs. Uh, they stopped medical procedures. They put off having kids in anticipation of the day of Armageddon. Now, not only is that false teaching and false doctrine from false prophets, but really it is so easy to see from the Bible itself exactly who the 144,000 are and the fact that it will be a battle for Armageddon, which is the hill of Megiddo that today overlooks the Jezreel Valley. Now, I don't think I am so concerned. I'm not so concerned about these Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, but I am concerned about being Jesus' witness, and maybe you are too. 
So let me start off with that here in, we, we can see it right here in Revelation 14. How are we going to be Jesus' witness? Well, number one, you need to be secure in your status. Verse one, and I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. So they're on the earth in chapter 7. Now they're in heaven in chapter 14. They have either been killed and appeared there, or they've been raptured. And so they are, as we discovered before in chapter 7, these are Jewish evangelists during the Great Tribulation. But no less than them, in order to be Jesus' witness... We have to be clear on who has sealed us and who we belong to. So, how can you be Jesus' witness today? Well, this is number two. Be plentiful in your praise. Like the, like the youth have led us in this morning, verse two. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Harpo. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. Verse 4 says that these are God's first fruits. And first fruits are always the first part of a larger harvest. So that means a whole lot more fruit, just like this, is going to be coming on later. But we need to praise God now for what he's going to do. So we, even we, need to praise God now for how he's going to deliver us in the future. I call that giving God layaway praise. Okay, so they're, they're the choir leading the rest of the earth, the rest of everybody else who's in tune with what's going on, in giving God some layaway praise, because tribulation ain't done yet, but let's give God some layaway praise. So if you want to see that kind of fruitfulness in your own life, this is number three. Be persistent in your purpose, verse four. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. So do you have loyalty to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus? And we discover of these individuals, they have no rival because they refused to be defiled and seduced. They have no restraint because they're following the Lamb. And they have no refusal because they follow him absolutely anywhere he leads them. Number four, be fruitful and truthful in your testimony. Truthful in your testimony, verse five. And in their mouth was found no guile. So no hypocrisy, no untruth, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Because when you believe the truth, then you're able to speak the truth. Hello, somebody. So as you confess the truth, it then gives you power to live the truth because once you confess it, you've kind of committed to it and, and then the Holy Spirit empowers you to follow through on it. And we already know from chapter 7, we already saw that, that these are 12,000 specially sealed individuals from each of Israel's 12 tribes. So, they are 144,000 Apostle Pauls returning to the time when he went to the Jew first with the gospel that Jesus was their Messiah. And they're just the beginning of the masses of people in God's mercy and God's grace 
who will hear the gospel during the tribulation and reject the mark of the beast. Verse 6 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. Okay, this is angel number one so far in this chapter, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Okay, so let me set you up for something that's going to save you from being seduced by a lot of false doctrine. Because I have found most of the Jehovah's Witnesses who come to my door are actually ex-Baptists. They're ex-Baptists because they don't know their Bible very well, and I want you to know your Bible better than that. And, and so when we rightly divide the Word of God as to the times and seasons and dispensations, then we can understand the Gospel's three forms, how there are kind of three phases that the Gospel exists in. Number one, the Gospel of the Kingdom was preached by Christ and the Apostles to Israel. I mean, that's when Christ's ministry started, Matthew 4.23, and I'll say that goes all the way, at least through Acts chapter 9. And that gospel was rejected by the Jews at Christ's first coming, but it will be received by them at his second coming. Number two, the gospel of the grace of God, which will save any sinner by grace who puts their faith in, in Christ. We saw that last Sunday in Romans chapter 4, verse 5. So I'll say that goes from, oh, Acts Acts 10-ish, all the way up to Revelation 4, where John, as a type or a picture of the church, is told to come up hither. We see him raptured off the earth up into heaven. So the finished work of Christ operates on your behalf as you activate it by faith, by your faith in it. That is the gospel, that is the truth for our end times as we saw it last Sunday. But number three, there is an everlasting gospel of repentance during the tribulation. We see it here, covers Revelation 6 through 18. And you know, Paul says in Galatians 1, Verses 6 to 9, let there be a curse on anyone who mixes up the other Gospels in with the Gospel for the church age. Even if they want to take this Gospel that is declared by an angel and try and read it back in, he says, no, you can't do that right now. But what we see here in Revelation 16, after the church has been raptured and removed is that everything the Antichrist is doing to destroy eternally human souls, God is even using angels to counteract. So with all this activity taking place, God is fighting fire with evangelistic revival. And so to the Jews, you have 144,000 witnesses like the Apostle Paul, telling them to hold on and, and hold out And do not take the mark of the beast because Jesus is coming back. You're a Messiah, Jesus, the King is coming. And that is good news. That is is the gospel right there, the gospel of the kingdom. And then to the rest of the entire world, they also hear a gospel, the eternal gospel. And getting saved in that moment for them, it'll be really simple. Watch, Uh, Revelation 14, verse 7. Because here's what the angel says that preaches the everlasting gospel. Three things. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Don't worship the Antichrist. Don't worship his image. Don't believe the the lying uh, false miracles of the false prophet. 
And you know what? They don't even have to know the rest of the Bible. I mean, it's really a simple gospel for the most extreme time because of the loving kindness and the mercy of God. All you got to do is fear God, give him glory, and worship him. Verse 8, and there followed another angel, this is number 2, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. He's not talking about physical fornication. He's talking about a city, not a person. And also because of what he had just said about what the gospel is that corrects this, the fornication of Babylon is the idolatry and the unfaithfulness to the God who has created us. So starting all the way back with the city of Babylon in, in, Babylon in Genesis chapter 9 and Genesis chapter 10. And, you know, it's idolatry set up by demons. And, and that whole mystery religion of Rome will be called out in, in Revelation chapter 17. That'll be in the fourth and final season of the crown of, of the second coming chronicles. Because Revelation's not a consecutive chronological history. As we have pointed out before, it is like the four Gospels. It's a four-camera shoot. It is, it is simultaneously occurring things from four angles. So now after God has done all that, I mean, if he's going to give you an angel from heaven telling you what to do to get saved, you better recognize verse 9. That the third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, if any man. Now, after hearing that, and you know how to get saved, and it's, it is boiled down to the essential thing, and it is so easy. If after that any man worshiped a beast in his image and received the mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So your free will, even at that moment, is still able to position you against God. So people who align themselves with the beast even after all of this, they purposely do so. So they will receive the same punishment as the beast because of doing that. I mean, it all goes back to goal number one of discipleship, getting established in worship. Verse 7, worship your creator. But verse 9, if you worship the beast in his image by receiving his mark, you are marked out for judgment by God. And this is not temporary torment. This is eternal So that's tribulation truth, not for our end times, but in verses 10 and 11, we do have a picture preview of hell. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you go a night or two and you've not been able to sleep. Anybody like that? You go a night or two, even three, and you can't sleep. And maybe last night. I mean, I mean, I never sleep good on Saturday nights anyway, but here it is, time change Sunday, and I know I lose an hour, and now, okay, I can't sleep. And, and hell is a place, it's being described as a place where there is no rest day or night, while heaven is described as a place of God's rest. And while doing the wrong decision leaves some people 
branded by the beast, verses 9 to 11, the right choice will leave you blessed by the Spirit. Watch, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. Okay, they, they, they're doing what they're told. They, they are fearing God, giving him glory and worshiping him. And it says they keep the faith of Jesus. So if, if, you, if you fear God, give him glory, follow his word, you still have to also include Galatians 2.20, the faith of Jesus. I mean, look at Galatians 2.20 on your handout. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you still need the faith of Jesus to get by. You have to be alive by his life. You have to be living by his faith. Now, I know if you're not reading from a King James Bible... Your translation does not say that. I mean, even if it's the new King James, it still doesn't say that. And that's why I stick with the Bible's own definition of biblical authority, because then my Bible matches between Galatians and Revelation. Because after the rapture of the church, the Holy Spirit still reproves or convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. John 16, verse 8, But while tribulation saints are saved by grace through faith. They are not kept by grace through faith because they're not part of the body of Christ. We're already gone by then. When, they, when we get saved, when we're born again, God puts, puts us in Christ and puts the Holy Spirit inside of us. And, and he is the seal. He seals us for eternity. Not so after the rapture of the church. Not so for these tribulation saints. So much so that the patience of the saints means, verse 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Okay, I mean, you got to be patient even unto death. You cannot deny him even unto death. You cannot take the mark of the beast even if it means your life. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. So tribulation saints do have to endure to the end to be saved. Because if you take the beast's mark, all bets are off, baby Baba, because that is the sin unto death. Well, why? Well, let me show you what Paul wrote to the Hebrews during the opening transitional time during the book of Acts and the Gospels where the temple was still standing And a Jew still had the option. A Jew could come to Christ, but could also turn around and go back to the temple and continue to relate to God that way under the terms of the old covenant. Verse 25 of Hebrews 12 says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. And that is exactly what's happening right here in Revelation chapter 14, because an angel is speaking from heaven, telling him exactly what to do. But we also see, I think, in this verse, in verse 13, three things about a believer's life after death. What happens after you die? Well, here, you're rejoicing, you are resting, and you are rewarded. 
You are blessed, you rest, and your works do follow you. Because here's our first point for study. Anything done for Christ lasts for eternity. Your works have to follow you. Because anything done for Christ lasts for eternity. Verse 14, and I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one like unto the Son of Man. So this angelic appearance number four, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle, and another angel, number five, came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now a sickle is a farmer's implement, And it was a tool that they would use back before they had machines where they could swing this big blade and it would cut down all the grain. And verse 16 says, And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel, number six, came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel, number seven, came out from under the altar, which had power over fire. And he cried with a loud voice unto him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So notice, we see once again a mid-trib or post-tribulation rapture of tribulation saints like we saw with 144,000 once on earth now in heaven like we saw happen with the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 because there is a reaping of grain by the Son of Man on the cloud, Revelation uh, verses 14 to 16 here in chapter 14, and he reaps a harvest of grain to himself. Matthew 13, verse 30 says, the wheat is gathered into God's barn. But when it comes to the battle of Armageddon, which culminates the second coming, gets us right at the second coming of Christ, then the grapes, not the grain, are thrown into the great winepress of God's wrath. And verse 20 says, The winepress was trodden without the city, outside the city limits. We need space. We can't corrupt what's going on in the city and contaminate things there because these are kind of interesting grapes. Obviously, the grapes are symbolic of the people in the armies at that battle because it says the blood came out of the winepress even into the horses' bridles by the space of 1,600 furlongs or about 200 miles in the valley of Jezreel, at the foot of the hill of Megiddo. So God's judgment is against the armies of the nations because at that moment, they are mobilizing in that valley to attack Israel. At the Jezreel Valley, which is where Armageddon will take place. You can see this on the back of your handout. It was the staging ground, the same staging ground used by Deborah and Barak to defeat Sisera, used by Gideon to defeat the Midianites, the Amalekites, and uh, the armies from the east, children of the east. Napoleon defeated the Ottomans there. The British defeated the Ottoman Empire there. So here's, here's, here's the interesting thing. There was no hill of Megiddo when the Apostle John is talking about it. There was a city of Megiddo. And after it fell and after it was abandoned and in the ensuing centuries... 
it turned into an actual hill. So the fight will be a battle for Armageddon, for the entrance to Israel. Napoleon Bonaparte declared this is the most natural battleground in the whole earth. And since he takes us to the end of season three of the second coming, we will see this in detail in Revelation 19 verses 13 to 15 in the finale season four. Jesus will then be trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. And these are the four Gospels of the second coming. So we, we saw kind of a Matthew picture of the second coming under the seven seals that were opened in Revelation 4 to 7. Then we saw a Markan picture, not Martian, Markan, uh, kind of like the Gospel of Mark. Pictured under the rubric of the seven trumpets being blown, Revelation 8 to 11. And we just finished the last Lucan look at season three. I mean, it's a third season, but it's the same things being looked at again. Seven angels being shown in chapters 12 to 14. For the Johannine view, just like his gospel, the picture of Jesus given after the other three concluded... We now return to a picture of vials being decanted. And you see this more clearly if I put the, you know, if I put the break right here in my message instead of stopping right here and starting chapter 15 next time. So chapter 15 lifts us off of the earth back into heaven to see what is driving these things behind the scenes. But I, I'm going to keep you awake today because I know it's time change Sunday. I believe I can also take chapter 15 and I can give you the three principles you have to apply to become more than a conqueror right now and more than a conqueror in this life. So anybody want to hear this, just give me a one-way sign, just like the Jesus freaks in the 60s, one way. And uh, first off, notice if you will, this is number one. The first principle is the principle of the word because in order for you to conquer, you've got to stand on reliable scriptures. Now here's where I get that. Verse 1, chapter 15. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name. They stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. So in 1 Corinthians 13, 2 Corinthians 3, James chapter 1, the word of God is called a glass. And you know, in, in Solomon's temple, there was this basin of water that was called a sea. And it, it was a picture of the sea that stands before the throne of God as a Bible type or picture of the word of God that washes us, Ephesians 5. So in the heavens, there is the sure, certain, settled word of God that is stood upon, which gives victory to the followers of the Lamb. Second, second, this is number two. There's the principle of works because the conqueror sings of redeeming sacrifice. So not even our works, but the work God did. Watch verse three. And they sang the song of Moses the servant of God, and, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made 
manifest. We eliminated judging. We eliminated all the ones who wouldn't, so all the nations will. Now, the Song of Moses, that's Deuteronomy 32, and it's a story of God's greatness and Israel's deliverance, verses 1 to 14, and then God's grief at her idolatry in verses 15 to 35, and finally God's grace in redeeming them from their adversary, verses 36 to 43. So they're not singing what we have done, they're praising for what he has done. And number three, the principle of wrath. Because the conqueror celebrates righteous suffering. Verse 5, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Because this is God's solution to the crisis of injustice. Nothing else is going to change. Nothing else is going to eliminate injustice. Not in, even in the United States of America. Not a new government, not a new president, not, not new laws. You know, to eliminate injustice would require you get a new heart. So we can, we can eliminate justice for every person we get a new heart into. But outside of that, it ain't going to happen until Jesus gets back. And so, and so now heaven is open so we can see the solution. No peace without justice. So now we see, verse 6, the seven angels come out of the temple having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. They are in appearance, they look like kings and priests. They have authority to dispense God's judgment on his behalf in chapter 15. And we'll see in chapter 16, they are given the means to do that in these seven vials with the plagues. Because God's holiness is as perfect as his mercy. So it will be sanctified because these seven angels wear white robes. It will be sovereign because they have golden sashes, symbol of their authority. It will be solemn because they carry vials of wrath. And it will be certain because no one can enter the temple until this process is complete. God's going to make things right. God's going to make up for all the injustices. And uh, we have referred to chapter 16 several times because of what, what happens next is previewed in the other three depictions of the tribulation. So there were seals, there were trumpets, but the angels that we just finished up, that kind of took us more to the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And now the vials take us right to the end of that time. Watch verse one of chapter 16. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth. It's just one thing after another as God intervenes. Verse two, and the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth and there felt a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshiped his image. These are STDs, spiritually transmitted diseases. And it's an extreme makeover as God marks over the beast's mark that's been tattooed on these individuals. And God has a balance in his attributes. So this is what we are seeing here. I mean, God has goodness, but, and I've saved our thesis for today's study until right now. 
God's holiness justifies his goodness by his wrath against those who are not good. How else could you define goodness unless you judged what was not good? If you do not judge what is not good, then goodness means nothing. So here's what you need to hear today. Listen to Jesus. John chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. He that believeth on Jesus is not condemned. Period. Believe on him. You're not condemned. But he that believeth not, it's not a matter of you're condemned because you don't believe. No, you're condemned already. You were condemned to start with. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. Christ came into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know, we're entering the Easter season and they hung him high and they stretched him wide. And when he hung his head and then he died, his arms were open holding back God's judgment against me and against you. Because at that moment, and this is our second point for study, God expressed his wrath against us on Jesus on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 tells you that. He made Christ to be sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God in him. Galatians 3.13, he was made a curse for us. So all four Ps, the pandemic, politics, protests, and polar vortex... It's not because God is causing that. I mean, those are simply the consequences of living on a sin-cursed earth. But one day, God will be causing seven serious plagues to happen. That's a fifth P, the plagues. And God is unleashed in order to show us the other side. And this is our final point for study. The part of God's holy wrath poured out on Christ still stands in reserve If you do not accept Christ, it stands in reserve for you. It has to be poured out someplace to atone for the sin that offended his infinite holiness. And that's why this is truth for our last days. And we want our harvest teams to be used in your life. And and not to count conversions, but to count conversations and to keep conversations going until they get around to the gospel and not to add evangelism to your life, but just see how you can naturally use your life and your relationships evangelistically. You know, we've all been to a performance. I'm sure you have, maybe a high school musical or performance like that. And you arrive and the curtain is closed. And so you don't see any of the actors. You're just waiting on the actors But you can kind of know that you're close to the curtain opening when you can hear movement behind the stage. Or maybe hear the instruments tuning up and that says, hey, it's almost showtime. And and all you have to do is listen carefully to the rumblings. You know, everybody thought America was nowhere in the Bible. And everybody thought Russia was off the stage as a, as a world superpower. And everybody thought China was no competition, especially militarily. But God guaranteed that the Middle East would be the center of our planet. He guaranteed it with the three-letter word O-I-L. And so when we dive into that part of the planet in order to, quote, defend American interests, the interests that Americans 
want defended. They are interested in oil because oil is energy and oil is plastics and oil is our economy. And all you have to do is listen carefully and you hear the rumble. All you got to do is watch and you see the stage being set. And if you were ever waiting to get serious, if you were ever waiting on becoming a disciple-making saint in the last days, if you were ever waiting to get to that point, you were going to be willing to develop your testimony and not be ashamed to share it, now would be a good time to start. And you know what? It doesn't matter how much time is left. Because at that day, at the day of Christ, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you want to be able to say, like the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, I fought a good fight. You know, it doesn't matter when I started, but at the end, I was fighting. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. If those three things, then henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. You say, Alan, but what if I've fallen? Get up! Well, what if I failed? Go on! Try again! Keep going! Rocky Five It! Rocky Five It! Because that was the movie where Rocky had retired. I mean, too many injuries, beaten up too bad. But Tommy Gunn asks Rocky Balboa to be his trainer. And he becomes a trainer and he trains him into a champion. And now he doesn't need Rocky anymore. And he's rich and he's famous and he's popular, so he kicks Rocky to the curb. And the whole movie comes down to the last 15 minutes. And Tommy confronts Rocky. And he hits his brother-in-law and he knocks him down and he's threatening Rocky. And Rocky tears off his shirt and says, let's go outside. And Tommy's too young, he's too strong, and he's too fast. And finally he hits Rocky and Rocky hits the ground and he's in a daze. But as he's there on the ground... He starts to remember, and he remembers Apollo Creed and how he fought back against him. And he remembers Clubber Lang. You remember Clubber Lang? That was Mr. T. And how he lost the championship to him, but then he came back. And of course, we all remember the Russian boxer, Ivan, Ivan Drago, and he sees all this in his mind. He still cannot get up. But then he remembers his own coach, Mickey. And you know, Mickey had this cufflink he got from... Uh, Rocky Marciano gave it to him and he kept it on this chain around his neck and he takes it off his neck and he gives it to Rocky Balboa and Rocky's remembering back him doing that and when he does that Mickey says get up you bum because Mickey loves you only he may not have said bum but this is church (laughs) and that's when the music starts Gonna Fly Now by Bill Conti and and Tommy Gunn is walking away and Rocky says yo Tommy Come on back, one more round. And he found power he didn't have when he remembered somebody who had died. And he found power he didn't have when he remembered somebody who loved him and told him to get up. I don't don't care what has knocked you down. I don't care how long you have stayed away. This is truth for our end times, and I want you to be ready. Get up! Get up! Get up, you bum. Jesus loves you. Every head bowed, every eye closed, every Christian pray. Do you belong to Jesus? I mean, if you don't belong to Jesus, why wait? 
Do not wait until it is too late. Today, make ready. Because the day of Christ's return, whenever it is, you need to get ready today. This is the day of grace. And today all you have to do is pray and say, God, save me for Jesus' sake. Lord, Lord, I, I trust Jesus today for eternal life. And if you do that, when we get done, come up here to the front. Let us know. I want to give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. Or call or text or, or you know, uh, email us uh, uh, and let us know so I can get that to you. Go ahead and stand and let's, let's have a word of prayer as we leave. Father, we thank you today. What a great and glorious day, even for, a, uh, even for a time change Sunday. I thank you that we've got Harvest Kids going for both service times. I thank you, Lord, for, for all the heart of this people, the heart that you have given us to be following you at this time because these are the last days. And we've got to follow now. We need to be found following you at the time of your return. And so, Father, I pray you'll help us do that as we go forward and, and work forward into Easter together. Lord, be with us to do that. We know we can trust in you. Lord, we don't even, we don't even have faith in our own faith. We're going to have faith in the faith of Jesus to do this through us to the glory of your name. For we ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Love you. See you back tonight, 5.30, for uh, prayer. And if you don't make it, I'll see you next Sunday. Uh, stay, stay in the Bible. Share the gospel. Love you. Have a great time. Great week. You're dismissed.